I'm Jeff Reed. I'm Craig Killian. And this is the From First to Last podcast. I'm Ben there. <laughs> <laughs> This podcast where my friend Craig and I, we get together each week, we work our way through a director's theatrical filmography yep, from yep. the first film all the way through to their last. And Craig, this season, it's our eighth, eighth season. Eighth season. I know, <laughs> I know. I channel my inner Mike that's Tyson. A horrible, that's a terrible season. I'm going to eat your children in the season. <laughs> Strangely, we watched an episode of How I Met Your Mother that featured Mike Tyson last night. I watched this horrible thing where they interview people in the street about Mike Tyson and he comes out behind them. <laughs> and, you know, he's like interviewing people and some people go, oh, Mike Tyson's crazy. And he goes, do you really think I'm crazy? <laughs> and the people shit themselves as you would. Mike I love time. it. The uh, episode of How I Met Your Mother, someone was looking after their friend's baby and they weren't very good at it. So the, the baby was crying. So Mike Tyson came out of nowhere and offered to, to hug the child. And he's like, she just needs a cuddle. <laughs> <laughs> and they end up at a strip club together. Mike Tyson, the baby and this person. So oh, very funny. What a horrible night. You ever heard, seen Mike Tyson talk about his child when it passed? No. It's one of the most hardest hitting things in oh, the world, man. Oh, man. Where he talks about like he was just so angry. He just wanted to like beat up everyone and everything. And then suddenly he got put in the, um, I assume, postnatal areas. Yeah. And um, and he was there with other parents who had just lost kids. And it wow. Just, it's an amazing story. And you see him, he just, he cries and then apologizes later for crying. Oh, I'm sorry for crying, <laughs> you know, but it's a, it's a horrible it's a horrible story, man. He freaking you should... by all accounts, like uh, post prison Tyson mm-hmm. seems to have had like that that journey that only something hard and isolating like prison can bring on. If you hear his upbringing, um, obviously bearing in mind he's, he's a convicted rapist, um, but yes. if you hear his hear about his upbringing, basically. The man had nothing but his anger. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it got him everywhere in life. Yep. Too many places. You know what I mean? And yeah. You just, yeah. It's really weird. It's really weird. I actually, I love that we're not talking uh, film at all at the moment. So, uh, that's a good we, segue, we, man. Segue, yeah, no, segue, man. Violence, violence has an impact on you, whether it's in sport or not. That's exactly right. <laughs> you and know we what are going to talk uh, Tim Burton's most violent film. Yeah, um, but I also listened to a podcast the other day which featured Robert Downey Jr. And he talked a little bit about how incarceration shifted perspectives for him mm. and how how I actually had no idea how long he spent in prison. It was 18 months, wasn't he? He, he did three stints and the last one was almost three years. Oh, shit. I didn't know that. <laughs> Huge, right? Christ. So I'd like w- to see the prison, though. Well, he actually talks about, like, he said... Um, I guess there's no... Good prison. No, that's exactly. Unless you're in and I don't think Denmark. he he actually said. Um, <laughs> it's true. Have actually, you seen the little Denmark? Yeah. Pod? They're fucking pods, man. <laughs> they actually sell those in Sydney as Airbnbs, man. They're fucking. <laughs> uh, it, well, he talks about the fact that um, his last sentence, the judge actually threw the book at him. Yep. Uh, to make an example of him. 
and um, he talks about the way that it was the only time he ever felt safe was at night when the bars closed. That's like the only time because then he knows, he said, you know who's in the cell with you? Yeah. And so your cellmate, you build a trust with over time and Mm -hmm. you just know that you're going to be all right with that person. But outside of that, it's just like terrifying. Yeah. See, I'm not a brave man. No, me I'd either. slut up straight away. <laughs> I'd just be walking around on my yeah, knees. Yeah, yeah, Come yeah, on, boys. Yeah. Oh, my goodness, Craig. Hey, you got to do what to do to survive, Jeff. You do. Right? you got to do If i got to get a couple of shits on my back, I'll do it. <laughs> oh, Come out and goodness. see my family again. Oh, goodness me. <laughs> Things have got dark, and rightly so, Craig. Wait, the, how do we get this weird? We'd, convers- we'd ask conversation already. Oh, no. Uh, Mike Tyson. <laughs> Mike right. Tyson. Okay. Thanks, Mike. Uh, Thank well, you, Mike. actually, it's the fact that I ate a Reese's peanut butter cup before starting. Yeah, my, I was tr- struggling to speak. But we've actually, um, it's very fitting, actually, because today is a very dark turn for Tim Burton. Oh, 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 that was good, Jeff. Yeah, you like You're that? Fucking oath, man. Oh, thank After you. eight seasons, man. We're yeah, there's <laughs> some got, things. Some things well come oiled, naturally now. Well-oiled Flintstone, <laughs> mach- Flintstone machine. We are, aren't we? <laughs> um, but last week, Craig, we had a fantastic time talking uh, Beetlejuice. I should yeah. say last episode, not last week, but last episode we mm-hmm. talked Beetlejuice. Um, Really, I think if there's one thing that's standing out so far for me with Tim Burton is his ability to really have a clear Tim Burton voice yeah, uh, from the get-go. And I actually strangely thought he was darker earlier in his career from memory, but that's not the case. Do you know what I mean? There's more whimsy to his films than I anticipated. So... Beetlejuice, I remember almost being not a horror, but like so incredibly dark. I think he has, and it's obviously very rightfully so based on his earlier, you know, student films, you would call them student, or early films. Yeah. He has a very Hans Christian Andersen. Yeah. Um, Grim Brothers Grim type things to him where they've just yep. got that. They are dark. You can't help but remember the dark. Yes. But you also... You 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 see how like it's still light and it's weird. yeah, but yeah, for some reason you go, oh yeah, I just remember that scary bit. Hey. Well, I think tonally, I expected it to feel like Batman feels. Do you yeah, know what I mean? True, because um, this is you would say. But even Batman seems different. What's so true, Craig? This I'm so. <laughs> I really want to get, get there, there later. I don't want to get about the sequel. What I expect. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, we'll it's there. so funny, isn't it? Uh, I'll say this very much from the get go, and we'll touch on it a bit later on because I know that we can't we can't talk Batman without talking other Batmans. Other Batman. But um, for me, I guess what I now know as say, let's say Matt Reeves is the Batman that yeah. came out. Uh, was that this year or last year? I can't remember. Maybe this oh, year. Yeah, uh, they're all mel- melding into one a now. COVID and year. Uh, but like. Tonally, I almost expected to go back and watch Tim Burton's and feel the same. Yeah, and it exactly. surprised me the tone that we got. I I'm thinking that it's too we're thinking tone wise. Yep, that's my thought. Yeah, you know, and and it's always that one picture of just Danny DeVito with the um, oil running out of yeah, his mouth. Yeah, yeah. Um, but 
button on her nose. Yeah, <laughs> but we'll see. We'll yeah, see. I'm really but excited. I think he, I think sequel, he goes actually. for darker greys, but I'm excited. Me too, me too. So we talked Beetlejuice, had a great time in our last episode. And this week brings us to 1989 for Batman. Batman. And I'm very excited, Craig, because uh, there's... Well, Batman Returns, I'll Tell the Tale, uh, is a big, important film for Jeff Reed's film-loving uh, life. But what's pretty crazy here, Craig, and we're going we're gonna to get into this pretty, pretty deep soon, but Beetlejuice is released in 1988 and Batman yep. is released in 1989. So there is a little over a 12-month turnaround between films. Serious? That's impressive. Yeah. So he must have gotten, obviously got the Batman gig before Beetlejuice came out and there's, became a hit. There's so much to talk about here, Craig, but he actually didn't get a green light until about three weeks after Beetlejuice was released. Oh, okay. So Burton was developing the film, not really got to casting or anything, and really had to basically put the jet engine, as we see on the Batmobile, uh, on on the production to get and it He's going. already doing promotions with most of the actors. So, hey. yeah. <laughs> so let's take a look at what's been going on for uh, Tim Burton post-Beetlejuice because really there's not a lot of turnaround time in that for him to be like, you know, in the past we've talked about he's gone off and done a little bit of television, yeah. done some consulting here and there, but really there's no no rest for the wicked, so you could sort of say, Craig. Um, and so we sort of get to this point where post-Beetlejuice, uh, we sort of talked about if we cast our memory all the way back to um, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, um, with that being such a success, Burton's been given pretty open access from Warner Brothers to to what projects he'd like to do. Yep. They offered him some as well, and he wasn't quite happy with how Real mad comes. captains silly they were. <laughs> but um, one of the, the projects that they offered to him was to work on a reboot of Batman. Yeah. Now, for the general public, Batman is a, still a very popular comic character, but really there hasn't been anything Batman in the the sphere of pop culture yeah. since those 60s television. <laughs> so you could imagine this is a big, it's a big shift tonally to what they're going to go towards oh, yeah, it's, uh, when it happens. It's a, it's a reset. Yeah, and so the, this journey that the film actually takes and actually the journey the character of Batman takes is really fascinating. And so uh, we'll, we'll sort of touch on that in a moment, Craig, but Burton jumps at the chance to make his own Batman. Uh, however, the, the studio weren't too sure about him being given the green light straight away because really his debut film is the thing that they're giving him access to this project for. Yeah. So he's not really a tried and tested director. Oh, yeah, Especially such a big property. That's exactly right. And I guess we have to also contextualize a little a little bit here, which is I don't know if it is a big property at this stage. Um, I know from a comic book perspective, yes. But like if we think about Batman now, right, it's essentially for a director. If you got given Batman to make yeah. these days, it's like a Holy Grail film. But I think if at the time there were very few films – that were well, there were very few superheroes that were known. Yes, really, only two. Yeah, and one of them was a hit movie. Yes, so Superman was just you know a hit. I don't know. We'd probably get into friggin' Last Hope here or whatever it was. Um, and so the only one after that is Batman. 
Yeah. Like, obviously, there was Spider-Man, but Spider-Man was at a stage where, you know, it'd just be hard, incredibly hard to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, Batman, I think it had potential, had so much potential. Um, you can ground it in reality. Yeah, exactly. So, so, financially, it makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does. And so, and I don't know if at this time, Warner Brothers owned DC. I don't think so. Yeah, exactly. So, I don't think... so. I assume that they've probably got a rights deal sitting there at the time, yeah. Um, which probably ticks over, and, and and could almost tick out. So, from my research, it's pretty late in the piece that they get a rights deal. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's it's quite fascinating, actually, and we'll we'll get there in a sec, Craig. Um, so we've got to sort of remember that at this stage, Burton has had a huge financial success with Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Yeah. People didn't expect it to be as popular as it was, but it was really popular. But he was still yet to prove himself as a consistent director. Yeah. And again, a film like Batman needs a budget. Yes. And you don't want to chuck $20, 30000000 million at a director who's on their second film. Who's only done Pee Wee Herman. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm sure there's some executives who are like, how do you jump from Pee Wee Herman to Batman? Yep. Yeah, and... I'll tell you, the general public had the same questions. Oh, freaking know. <laughs> but you know, but it's funny in hindsight. You know, that's what sh- that's what people, smart people, do. They yes, you know, and you look at Christian Bale. Hey, yep. Look at Heath Ledger. Yeah. <laughs> but the drama that Heath Ledger when he was um, Joker. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And we'll we'll touch on that a bit later too, Craig. Oh, yeah. There's so much Shit. to draw on here. There's a but, Twilight. There's now Twilight as Batman. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly right. That's exactly right. So Warner Brothers allows Burton to develop the Batman project, but don't give it a green light. So yep. essentially he's told he can go out, he can make a script, start doing some concept art, but really he can't start doing it that pre-production like your sets, your casting, all that sort of stuff until a bit later on. So he's developing this and really decides that he's going to go off and pursue another project because this isn't isn't happening yet, makes Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice is a massive box office success for Burton. Yeah. And obviously Warner Brothers, they start thinking, oh, hello, we could be a bit Scrooge McDucky and have our cash eyes. And it's also a bit darkish too. It is. It definitely shows that he's not all light and fluffy. Yeah, exactly. That there can be that menacing edge to it. There's a yeah. bit of grittiness Menace to Beetlejuice. Menace is probably better, yeah. yeah. And so I think that's probably what, what sparked him there. And so a few weeks after the release of Beetlejuice, Warner Brothers gives the green light to pre-production to commence on oh, Batman. Um, now, usually around here on our episode, Craig, we'd probably take a moment, we'd start looking at the cinematic landscape of those days in 1989. But I thought... Before we really get into what happens for Burton and what's going on in 1989, I thought it might be a good opportunity to actually really have a dive into the history of Batman, Batman himself and the character's own journey to screen sort of up to 1989. We'll touch a bit on life beyond 1989 as well. But I just thought as I started researching Batman and the journey it's taken throughout media, yeah, it's actually really fascinating because... Both the characters of Superman and Batman yeah. are one of the first cross-platform uh, media icons. Yeah. And I think that's probably, you know, when when people talk about, oh, they're just superheroes or, oh, they're just comic book characters, they people forget that we're talking about characters who at one stage were 
comic book characters, newspaper strips. They were on the radio. They were on the television. They were in the cinemas. You know, like there, there's so much going on at once. What people don't realize is, especially when it comes to Batman and Superman, yeah, is they automatically recognize these people. And yes. it's even even before they were so gigantic because they're archetypes. Yes. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they're, they're archetypes. They're the, you know, the one, f- the the gleaming hero and the man for vengeance. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, you just see them everywhere. And they're the same person, whether they're wearing a frigging cowboy hat or a, a, a frigging star spangled shield. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. They're the same, they're the same personalities. Yeah. I love it, Craig. So the character of Batman, just like Superman, is nothing short of iconic. Uh, it really blew my mind as I started doing the math too because I was writing down, you know, uh, the first issue was released in da-da-da and it started dawning on me that in our lifetime we're going to see both Superman and Batman reach 100 years old. Damn. That's crazy, right? That is crazy. And so... Um, Batman and Superman have been a part of popular culture for like almost 90 years now. And I just thought for the purpose of the podcast, we could really go into the history of comic books with Batman. (laughs) But like you could spend years diving into all the different story arcs and iterations of Batman that have taken place. Uh, Same with Superman. But so for this, we're primarily going to focus on uh, Batman's media appearances, such as television, film, radio, those sorts of things. So in 1939, a little bit of history here, Craig, Superman became a massive hit for action comics. Uh, The rise of the superhero through Superman led uh, publishers to begin requesting other superheroes be developed to make appearances in future comics. Bob Kane was one of those artists who was asked to come up with a concept. Yep. And he drew a, um, and like we have to really state Bob Kane is considered comic book royalty these days. There's like probably no bigger aside from your Stan Lee. He has a bit of a dark shade on him. There is, which a I'm bit sure of a dark you're going to go into. Yes, um, I did avoid it just to sort of get lost in things that weren't <laughs> Batman. You know oh, what I mean? It's, but, so, it's, it's, it's sort of true, but <laughs> it's very Batmanish. The shade on there, him. there, there is a lot of. Um, but hey, Stanley has the same shade on him. If you look yeah. into it, you just—it's just been um, washed through the MCU machine, <laughs> yeah. like it has. You know, Very what I mean, cleverly. like if you ever—I'm sure if you got one of the greatest um, writers and creators, Jack Kirby, and you asked him about Stanley, yeah, yeah, wouldn't it have been nice stuff? Yeah. Yeah, so there is a little bit of that. It was the 30s and 40s as well. Totally different time. Yep. Uh, So basically, uh, Bob Kane draws a sketch of what is deemed a Superman-like character uh, in a red suit, black tights, a small black mask, just a little one covering his eyes, and with big wings spanning out from behind him, big black wings, and a title underneath it that said, The Batman. Now, he um, said that the wings were actually inspired by Leonardo da Vinci's ornithopter, uh, which is the flying device that yep. da Vinci designed. And so Kane goes off and shows the sketch to his frequent collaborator, collaborator Bill Finger. Finger suggests, maybe you should make the mask a cowl and change the wings into a cape and give him lots of dark, ominous tones to his, his suit. And so they went for that and... 
Batman was born, really. So he makes his appearance May 1939 in Detective Comics number 27 in the case of the Chemical Syndicate. Is the first ever <laughs> yeah. one, and I've actually uh, got a couple uh, Batman omnibuses that has all the Detective Comics ones in there. They're Lovely. super fun to read, actually. Uh, needless to say, Batman was a big hit, and along with Superman, the National Comic Publication had the two biggest comic book characters selling, um, as they're just huge successes of both book cross, uh, both uh, action comics and Detective Comics. Yeah. Um, now, as World War Two begins, Batman starts to take on this sort of, and you read it in the in the comics, this political sort of bent. He became a bit of a propaganda machine, yep. uh, part of the machine, and really starts that there, there are issues where he actually like. Um, encourages people to get in and purchase war bonds to to help out and superman's the same you know there's Captain america is the same that's exactly right they're they're part of the the allied sort of propaganda machine um now the writers decided after a while that they didn't enjoy the fact that this was happening to batman um and the times were quite dark as well so what they didn't want that was that readers would not be able to escape during a dark time yeah. so I actually started driving it to be a bit more silly light-hearted more juvenile in their approach to storytelling and the villains that they they brought so batman sort of evolves and shifts through that now by 1943 batman moves from being solely a comic book character to get his his, his own strip in daily newspapers <laughs> so in the same year batman also makes his first appearance on the big screen in 1943. Oh, really? In a 15-part serial called The Batman. Now, Batman was played by a gentleman named Lewis Wilson. And I'll um, pop some photos, actually. It's really cool of him up on the social media when, when this episode's released, Craig, because he's quite, I'd say, Hollywoodland-esque in his, his oh, physique. He? He's very much that 40s leading man. Big jaw, quite handsome. George Reeves. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Sort of a, um, yeah, I've just had a mental break. Oh, sort of like a George Reeves cross Gene Kelly look. Ah, okay, yep. Yeah, so um, that's, that's what he sort of looks like. Now, interestingly, at the time, censorship laws didn't allow for characters to be vigilantes. <laughs> it would actually uh, the idea of unauthorized crime fighting was deemed far too much of a risk to to portray in the general public. So for the film, Batman and Robin are both government agents, <laughs> and it's set during World War Two, where Batman and Robin discovered that a Japanese agent named Doctor Darker is operating in Gotham City, and they must stop him at all costs. So obviously, again, World War Two, the Japanese are a very very big part of this um and so they're trying to get involved in that now in 1945 superman had his own radio program called the adventures of superman and there were actually time when the voice actor for superman needed time off or a break to rest his voice so during these breaks they would actually introduce the character of batman who would come in for a guest spot awesome. uh, on the radio show so you know, with a with a comic strip in the newspapers, films running for fifteen weeks, and um, and also now making radio appearances, the the idea of Batman and Superman being just solely comic book characters 
are already shifting in the 40s. Isn't it funny? 40, so 1940s, this is what, 80 years ago? Yeah. And the number one podcast is a Batman story. Really? Yeah. So the number one <laughs> podcast currently now is their, um, is they actually going and acting out a, a Batman podcast. It's Love basically it. Batman Radio. Love it, is, it. it is. It's so, yeah, it's going to a Spotify. It's, I haven't actually listened to it yet because I was just like, I don't know. But yeah. I'll have to check it out. I do know that when Stitcher first started running their paid content, yeah. they actually signed a deal with Marvel. And they actually had um, a whole heap of characters telling a Wolverine story. Oh, cool! And like like Hollywood actors voicing yeah. the the characters. So yeah, that that's on their their content as well. Um, I love it. So um, on the big screen, Batman then makes his second appearance in 1949 with another 15 chapter serial called "The New Adventures of Batman and Robin: The Boy Wonder." Oh yeah. Um, for this iteration, Robert Lowry takes on the role of Batman. And in the film, Batman and Robin come up against a villain known as the Wizard. <laughs> now, the Wizard, the Wizard is a hooded villain who has an electrical device that can control cars and create all sort of hijinks that try to stop Batman and Robin through his card-controlling device. Oh. <laughs> I, I really love that He's one. He's not the Grand Wizard. <laughs> no, 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 no. So by the 1950s, uh, comic book popularity had actually begun to decline. Yep. Except for the characters of both Batman and Superman. They remain very popular in the public eye. And that's later attributed to the fact that uh, Batman and Superman were cross-platform. They were very accessible to the general public. Whereas, you know, you start thinking about your Spider-Mans, your Captain Americas, all those sort of um, characters, they're they're limited to comic books. Yeah, exactly. They're very very limited. And like we said before, they they required a lot. Well, they can be interpreted now. Yeah. Um, and I guess one of the brilliance is they've been interpreted simply in a set, in a sense like the character's personality themselves, but they need that big CGI backdrop. Yeah, very much so. Not a and, lot of them. And even... Not like Batman where he just needs a fucking alleyway. Oh, well, and we see it in Burton's film. Um, there's such beautiful matte paintings yeah. used in the background exactly. to, to give scope and, and scale. Any other character, if you tried to do that matte painting or the um, miniature paintings on a Spider-Man, yeah. it would stand out incredible. It totally. But would. here it just adds to the just fence. You know, it, it adds, adds to the such glowing. scale to the yeah, film, it does. doesn't it? It does. It, it adds I, character to it. It's, it totally it is, it's does. Character to it. And I love the fact, and we we aren't really going to touch on it too greatly, but Burton's film is quite um, iconic and inspirational for future iterations of Batman. Oh yeah, totally. uh, Burton's. Yeah, I don't know if you know this, Craig, but they actually have a series that was released afterwards called Batman '89, oh. which was a comic book run based within the world of Tim Burton's Batman. Oh, that'd be awesome. And Sam Hamm, who wrote the film, mm. uh, actually went on to be a writer for the comic we, series. You see a lot of Gotham. Yes. Everywhere. Yeah. Even 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 when you go to, um, obviously, the latest Batman, or the, especially the latest Batman selection, yep. that's pretty much going back to Gotham. In it is, essence. isn't it? But you still see, you know, Gotham is never shiny and bright. Can I say, Craig, the thing I love about this film, and I'm just worried I'm going to forget it later because it's not a note I wrote, but it made me want to go and watch each iteration of Batman to really see 
how influential Tim Burton probably was. Oh, incredibly. Incredibly. Crazy, isn't yes. it? Even like you could be, for someone that doesn't know chronologically when things were released, you could be forgiven for feeling that the animated series was an inspiration for the Tim Burton <laughs> film, yeah, exactly. you? Yeah, it's and it's very much part and parcel. It is, it is, and it, it, but it's also very hand in hand with, um, very hand in hand with like Superman and that type of Art Deco, yeah, you know, type of very infrastructure so. as well. That's what, but obviously that's why they're so good. They're day and night. Yeah, you know, that's what they're meant to be. <laughs> I love night. it so. And much. I really like. That's what I liked about Zack Snyder doing. His, you know, I I almost like the idea of like. Um, you know, Metropolis being across the river. Yeah. You know, being yeah, yeah, that yeah. shining light, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like almost... The wrong side of the track, yeah, so to Yeah, it's like where you see Detroit and Canada. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Detroit just looking over going, oh, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> they leave their doors unlocked They leave their there. doors unlocked, yeah. <laughs> also, we, we probably need to um, state as well, even at this stage, the idea of a comic book is something that is considered childish. Yeah. So there is this connotation that if you're reading comic books, it's for kids, as opposed to we're we're very fortunate now that they're actually considered literature. Thank fuck. Uh, I know, <laughs> uh, but it had that stigma. So for Superman and Batman to rise above that and be accessible in the general public, it shows how strong these characters were from the start. Incredibly. So for the next decade or so, Craig, Batman remains solely a comic book character. That is until the mid-60s, which brought upon the arrival of probably one of the most iconic iterations of Batman ever created. Possibly not in a great sense. <laughs> oh, look, he done his job, man. Oh, he sure uh, that did. That series done its job. Like, and it could have languished. Oh, Like the brand, the trademark could have languished. And there is, ironically, a lot of people who just look at the characters and the way they're portrayed and said, let's just make it darker. Yeah. And then done. And then yep. that's where the movies are at now. No. It's he, crazy, he done, isn't he it? had a great impact. So premiering in January 1966 on the ABC television network, Batman the TV series catapulted itself into pop culture fandom with its camp, vibrant colours, over-the-top villains, and later in its 120-episode run, epic dance numbers. Oh, yes. Fantastic <laughs> dance numbers. Uh, played by Adam West. Say it. Adam Wee. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Batman featured the greyish blue and black coloured suit that became yep. quite iconic. Mm-hmm. Uh, also a bit of a purplish tinge started popping up towards the back end there. Ironically, um, in the comic books, it's very much in the comic books. It is very much it is. so. It is. The comic not, books. It's not really as black as a lot of the movies make no out. No way. It's, it is that colour. Yeah, blue and grey yeah. is very much the colours of the traditional Batman. Yep. Sort of like the same way people feel about the uh, yellow and maroon Wolverine. Yeah, incredible. You know, yeah. um, which we don't ever get to see. No. Uh, but so we've got ba- Adam West is playing the the um, the title role, and the first season was so wildly popular. It's actually described consistently as extraordinarily popular. Oh, they man. had no idea it was going to be so big. How good is the Batmobile? Oh, man. The Batmobile, it's oh, iconic, it isn't it? It always reminds me of like Homer Simpson's car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I'm pretty sure there's there wasn't really much of a need for a Batmobile 
until they put the Batmobile together. Exactly. Exactly. And it really is an iconic car. Like, I remember as a kid having the Matchbox car version of it yeah. and just singing the song. No, 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 no. Every nah, Batmobile afterwards. You, you can't see Tim Burton's without seeing the one from the yeah, TV show. Yeah, 100%, Craig. 100%. It's just, just an evolution. It totally is. Um, what blew my mind about the TV series, Craig, is it only ran for three seasons and was done in two years. What, really? Three I seasons ages. completed in two years. Wow, I was so wrong. It was a global phenomenon. That went for 120 episodes. And do you know what's actually um, crazy? I'll, I'll tell uh, tell this little story. It's the, the story of the show's demise is actually quite sad. By the end of the third season, rating had declined pretty dramatically. Mm-hmm. And ABC decided they weren't going to pursue making the series. Now, NBC stepped in and said, you know what? Uh, we'll buy the property off you and we'll keep the TV show going with Adam West and Burt Ward yep. and all the characters that we had, you know, Cesar Romero, all those, those Eartha Kit was there. Mm-hmm. Actually, was Eartha Kit the first iteration? I can't remember yeah. if she was and then she was replaced oh, by can't. someone else. Um, so NBC saw the opportunity and no, bought the rights to the show. Now, they got to the point where they were starting to prepare and have a look at what they'd purchased and someone had gone through and destroyed all the sets at ABC Studios. And so they had to make this decision. Do we spend millions of dollars repairing all these sets to look exactly like they did on the previous season? Or do we just cut our losses and go... The outlay is not worth it. So, unfortunately, everyone thought that they were going to continue on for a fourth season and then, yeah, someone's antics just ended up with them actually deciding they're not going to pursue the uh, TV show at all. That sucks. Yeah, pretty sad, isn't it? That is sad. That is how sad. Oh, it works for the best. Well, it did. And at its peak, the TV series actually spawned a feature film. Now... It was released in 1966, and you'll remember this when I tell a little story, Craig. It was starring Adam West and Burt Ward. What blew my mind? I knew about the film. For some reason, I thought the TV series ended, then they made a film. Yeah. Uh, They actually rushed the film into production because the TV show was so popular upon its release, and the film was released two months after the TV show debuted. (gasps) Oh! Really? Yes, Craig. Two months. That's a mad rush. So, the, oh wow! The plot of the film is pretty bonkers, and it's the film that kicks off with Batman and Robin getting a hot tip that on the bat phone. a sailor is caught out to sea and they need to go and save him. So they fly the bat copter out over to the ocean to his yacht, <laughs> and as Batman's going down the ladder, yeah. The yacht vanishes completely, (gasps) leaving nothing but a great white shark that jumps out of the water and bites Batman's leg. Now, Batman's response to this is to look to his belt, and luckily he's got a canister of shark repellent on his utility belt, which he sprays in the face of the shark, and it explodes. Fantastic. Now, that scene has gone on to make its mark in pop culture a long time after the film yep. and the the term jump the shark is coined as a result of this film. Was that this? I'm pretty sure. I thought it was Happy Days. No, is it? It was Happy Days. I thought it was Batman the so, whole time. Uh, it could be. It could be. So as, oh, I, as I know up. the jump the shark one, it's, it's the Happy fonts. Days with the fonts 
So oh, how it's when one of the oldest. So they jump the shark. Obviously, is where they've reached the lowest point they can. It is it's happy and days? And so Fonzie jumps. <gasps> they have an episode where Fonzie is skiing. Like he's ice, water, he's, he's skiing. water skiing, and he's got his jacket on. He's got he his does full his gear on. Jacket on. And one of them, I'm looking at a picture he, now. He this is literally amazing. jumps a shark, and everyone says that's the episode where Happy Days died. The height, the <laughs> where height. it was no longer Happy Days, <laughs> and that's where Jump the Shark. Is. Those days were not ours. Well, Edson's got nothing to do with Batman, so just. Ignore what I said before, but I love. But the it also the brings the mythology. If you want to play on that, it, it brings the mythology of there's a a Batman concept. Okay, so there's a Batman concept, and this plays very well on it. Now, if you're in the nerd world, you'll see that people love to go. What if this guy fought this guy? Yeah. If this guy fought this yep. guy. Godzilla versus Kong. Yeah, exactly. So everyone, incredibly huge Batman fans, will always say. Batman will win if he has prep time. <laughs> that's that's seriously it. Shark repellent. Exactly. And that's where that's where his utility belt and everything. Where Batman is has prep time, he can beat anything. Incredibly beat anything. I've heard him say it. I've heard him say it. I, and I've heard him say it about Iron Man. I heard they say they could beat, you know, because obviously in the comic books, well, in the movies, he beats yep. Superman. He does. With prep time. He's just got to have prep time. You can't just walk up and Batman. No. You got to go, I'll come back after school. Hey. And I'll kick your ass. Batman, RSVP for our battle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just go. It's a time, bro. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> RSVP. He's, 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 he's a Kiwi. Big to the big Kiwi. <laughs> <laughs> just got to get some ink. See? <laughs> <laughs> Throwing a frying pan at Bit Alfred. Fruit <laughs> <laughs> Make me some eggs. Fucking Catwoman eh? <laughs> <laughs> So uh, the, the concept of the film Is pretty crazy to kick off with I know, I, I'm so I would happily Enjoy a Taika Waititi directed Batman film Featuring Oh, just a, mad, just, just a mad just A Maori Batman A Maori Batman That would be fantastic It would wouldn't I'm it? Bruce Wayne at Titi <laughs> 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 the Sky Tower in Auckland just his fucking <laughs> secret base. <laughs> it's pronounced Bruce Fane. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bit high rear. Um, <laughs> sorry about that, guys. Uh, so basically, after defeating the shark, Batman realizes that they've been set up by the Joker, the Penguin, and the Riddler, who are all working together to set them up and, and defeat them. So they go Fantastic. chase down the villains and take him to town. Now, in addition to the film, the TV series also released a whole heap of tie-in music. I didn't know this, but wow. they had a theme song performed and released by The Who. Fuck, really? Yeah. So is this the theme song that... Yeah. And then it was also performed by The Kinks. Oh, my Lord. These are freaking like huge bands huge bands yeah these, um, these are cotton on t-shirts <laughs> these are <laughs> <laughs> that little 13 year olds can wear it that's just go, so true i have no fucking idea what this is yeah <laughs> that's how you know you get know when your bands end up on fucking cotton on and you go oh, i'm gonna buy that and then a girl who's like half a sperm comes walking out with a fucking nirvana shirt on yeah oh, look everyone Never mind. Oh, <laughs> do you know what's actually... Hashtag never mind. This that, is my happy shirt because I just never mind. 
bringing that back to Batman. Um, <laughs> Sorry, <Mark. laughs> the usage of something in the way in the Batman. Yeah. Matt Reeves is the Batman. There are so many. I work in a high school, currently working with Year Seven. Shout out to my crew in Year Seven and Eight. They asked for a shout out this week, so yep, yep. shout out. How you doing? Hope you're keeping things smooth. The people who need to hear that know what I'm talking about. But keep it um, smooth. The amount of times I hear those kids sing something in the way every day, but laden with irony, as if it's like a meme that they're singing, is incredible. And and it's really the power of this character that is like, Batman is just generational, like multi-generational. Seriously, as much as I joke like the old man thing... I'm fucking glad that Nirvana's on a shirt. I can buy it for ten dollars. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like these, are, and this goes the same with the comic books. You know how you say it was nerdy. You know, back yep. in my day, where you'd have to order it and it cost so much, and now yes. they're just on Kmart frigging clearances. And I love that. I love it. I fucking love it. It's, it's more awesome. accessible, and it's more easier for me to go and watch these fucking films, man. Now I have to also put a little apology out to everyone uh, in. At the time of recording right now, you mm-hmm. can probably hear it in the background. There is an insane amount of rain happening here in the studio. It's literally what the news call a rain event. Yes. <laughs> Craig has braved the rain. I've stayed in my beautiful warm house. Yeah. Craig walked I've been across just our, beautiful warm house. our front yard, which swam. was pretty much a swamp. <laughs> I swam. Um, there's actually, Australia has some insane flooding in regions at the moment. Yeah, stay um, safe, guys. Yeah, stay safe. Please I feel stay like, safe, man. Do you know what's funny is I feel like people will be able to m- listen to past seasons and just map the different events of Australian weather we endure. <laughs> oh, but it's just freaking, it's just hard, man. You know what I mean? Like... And, and how normal it is. There's one we've had episodes where like, uh, bushfires this week. Stay safe, everyone. Yeah, stay safe. <laughs> Heat wave. Stay safe, everyone. Diseases, viruses, <laughs> kangaroo plague, oh, koalas. Um, koalas. Uh, so another interesting little uh, musical release in conjunction with the television show was an actual album featuring songs sung by the cast members. Yes, indeed, including songs called The Riddler and a whole heap of others. And Adam West performs a song himself, a country-inspired tune called Miranda. Now, Miranda writes? I have no idea, Craig, but what's amazing is the amount of times Adam West performed this in his full Batman costume. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I'm going to try and track down the song so I can pop it on oh, the socials, Craig. Please, um, but yes, so he has performed. Now, following the TV series, there was an animated TV series called The Batman Superman Hour. The series yep. featured hour-long episodes and ran for 34 episodes from 1968 through to 1969. And the voice of Batman during this was a gentleman named Ola, Olan Sul. Olan Sul. I think it's like Alan, but Olan. Let's call him Olan. Olan Sul. Olan. Olan. <laughs> Olan. 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 I knew um, him Alan. I fuck, he hated that. Did he? Fucking hated it, man. Alan. Like, he was just the nicest guy, but that was his trigger. That was his trigger. <laughs> and you just go, you go, Alan. Alan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Now you're not Alan. <laughs> uh, that was a classic, wasn't it? One of the it? greatest. That's, what it, that's like a, one of those first ever viral videos. Yeah. And it yeah. got emailed to everybody. BBC um, yeah, world like documentary. Yeah, they voicing over David Attenborough yeah. stuff. Alan! Alan! <laughs> there was that one like gopher that would pop up and just scream really loud. <laughs> I love that uh, shit. So good. I'm going to watch that later. I know. I <laughs> um, so, aside from remaining a global comic book phenomenon, we really didn't see any new versions of Batman until 1989 when Tim Burton's film starring Michael Keaton's released. Now, in the world of comic books, though, Batman really starts to establish, establish himself as a premier character. Yeah. Coming out of the 60s and into the 70s, the character takes a number of different story arcs, progressively getting darker and darker and seeing the introduction of some iconic villains, which we'd not actually seen before. So you've got to remember like nearly 40 years before we get the first version of the Joker. You also got to remember these. These are the ones who grew up on Adam Wee. Yeah. And then now. Like, it's like what we see now. Yeah. It is, you know what I mean? Like, you know, your John Favreau's, your David Filoni's, your Kevin Feige's, you know, all these people are the nerds of this year's yep. who are now in positions of power to make it properly. Yeah. You know what I mean? Who, totally. Who push past the executives and go, you can't fucking do that to Batman, man. Yep. And say, this is, this, and, and it's the same in the comic book industry. Yeah, totally. They actually finally have control to take that in a place they've always wanted to take. hundred percent. And the 70s see that start to happen, Craig. They introduce characters such as Ra's al Ghul. Plus, it's a dark fucking time. It's a taxi driver yeah, time, this, man. Yeah, this is true. This and is and so they really start to focus on Batman no longer being a dynamic duo with yeah. Robin. They start focus on him being more of a solo vigilante. Often sort of... Um, Hunting down sort of dark terrorist style villains, yeah, um, as opposed to like needing to be a detective, uh, yeah, child endangerment, yeah, yes, <laughs> it's a risk, it's a child risk. Slavery, um, Batman did occasionally team up again with Robin or Batgirl, uh, but sort of the late 70s when we start seeing Robin become Nightwing and have yeah. his own story arc as well. So the the shift also saw the tone of the comments, comics continue to shift away from those 60s camp memories that yeah. the TV show instilled. Um, but that doesn't mean that because we haven't seen anything through till almost the 90s that there weren't attempts at bringing Batman to the screen. Oh, yeah. And womp, during womp. the next decade... After the ending of the television show, Adam West actually continues to work on various TV show roles as cops and all sorts yeah. of things. But behind the scenes, he really wants to keep being Batman. <laughs> and he tries pretty darn hard to bring Batman to imagine. the big screen. Fuck, it's Adam West. <laughs> He's going to talk about Batman again. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. Can, 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 sorry, can you move tables, please? Can we just <laughs> Oh, Adam! How are you, man? <laughs> I have an idea. <laughs> Did you get my script? <laughs> Did you get my script? <laughs> Batman. Now, dances. <laughs> <laughs> He's got different suits. Different suits. Sequence. Sequence. <laughs> now, Urban Ryan Cowboy. <laughs> Adam West has this interview with Rolling Stone that is phenomenal, Craig, where he really goes into detail on some of his ideas to bring... Batman movies continuing oh, on. And, I bet you uh, like Kevin Smith's ideas. Oh, I'm going to let you in. Oh, please, I've got me. his quote. So one of the crazy concepts that he explains to Rolling Stone was, Bruce Wayne had basically retired to his ranch in New Mexico after having cleaned up Gotham City. 
<laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. um, most of the main villains were in madhouses or penitentiaries. Mm-hmm. So I invented a new supervillain super called Sun Yat Mars, who was so heinous he in, inspired to spring. <laughs> Sorry, it's so silly. <laughs> who was so heinous he inspired to spring them on one horrible stormy night, making them his minions. Called Marzies. <laughs> <laughs> Moreover, he was kidnapping college kids from all over the world, taking them to his zombie satellite, which was very alien looking, and they were marched like Dracula, filing in long lines into these terrible machines that sucked their brains out. <laughs> the picture would have. sounds like Hollywood. It's crazy, man. It's crazy. The picture would have opened with Bruce and his girlfriends, plural, Bruce and his girlfriends out riding horses in the moonlight, and they come across a mutilated cow's carcass surrounded by burnt grass. You don't know whether or not a spaceship is involved. It's all very mysterious. Meanwhile, Dick Grayson has become a signing, signing medical intern somewhere. He's chasing nurses around with his guitar, the Bruce Springsteen of Mercy Hospital. Oh my God! <laughs> I think he, I think he's better going towards Nightwing. <laughs> we reunite and end up conquering all those guys again. Oh God! So there was the first film iteration. Oh <laughs> Adam man! Adam West attempt to pitch. Now Adam this... West is still on drugs. <laughs> Very <laughs> much so. Man, he's still on drugs. He's cashing that ABC money. Oh man. Th- this isn't the only crazy Batman film concept that Adam West attempts to pitch, Craig. Another was, um, <laughs> and I have to say, Adam West reaches a point where he realizes that he has no chance of getting the rights to make a Batman film. So he's, just gonna... so he's like, so what can I do? Well, you know what I'm going to do, Craig? Oh, God. I'm going to reinvent the character of Batman to become its own property. I'm going to call it... <laughs> don't, don't. Super bad. Oh fuck off. Oh my god. Oh please tell me there's a there's a, gotta be a YouTuber who's made this man. In West Words, I also wrote a thing called Superbat when it was clear I'd never get film rights to the Batman character. It was a hybrid of Batman and Superman. Oh, really? Oh, fuck. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Who came from another galaxy, but he now lives in a vast cave. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, this is awesome. So... (laughs) Adam West is trying trying pretty hard to hold on to that Batman character that that's he so awesome. dearly loves, um, <laughs> and that's about as far as he got. Actually, later on, he would in the nineties get to voice Batman again in animated shows. Oh God! But really, that's the closest to being Batman he ever gets again. Oh. Uh, now there is there is a what if sorry an Elseworlds one where um, Batman, well Superman's ship lands in front of the Waynes. And the Waynes pick him up before they have Bruce. And he becomes Batman. Really? Heaps cool. dark, man. Heaps That's dark. Cool. It's an awesome suit, too. Oh. Like an awesome full Batman. Like he has a full face mask. It's full Batman, but he has a full face mask instead of just um, over his over his, um, over his his nose. Oh, I love and it. And he just burns the fuck out of people with his like 
X-ray vision. <laughs> I'll have to check it out. That sounds vision. so yeah, cool. Yeah, I've got it right? at home. I've still got it. Oh, I'm going to have to borrow that off here. It sounds super fun. Uh, now, in the late 70s, DC Comics found a popularity of Batman had begun to decline, so they began looking to develop a new feature film sort of to bring Batman back into the public eye yep. again. Their idea was... Um, <laughs> well, not DC Comics. Uh, at the time... Um, I think it was NBC had the rights to animated series. They weren't really doing anything with it. So they decided they wanted to make a direct-to-TV film called Batman in Outer Space. (laughs) Right, right, right. Um, It would have played out pretty much like a live-action version of the animated series. And you could imagine DC Comics weren't super keen, this being the direction that would bring Batman back to the public eye. So... At the end of the 70s, the film rights of Batman then get sold to a producer named Michael Olsen. Now, he actually stays on as producer for future Batman films all the way through to the last one that he produced was Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice. Oh, wow. So he's been involved with every That's Batman iteration. That's a good iteration. chunk of years, man. Yeah, pretty crazy, right? Now, Olsen's hope was to make uh, the definitive dark approach to Batman, and he actually reached out to a writer named Richard Maybaum and a director named Guy Hamilton, hoping that they would team up and bring their take on a detective-focused, gritty Batman. Now, I don't know if those names are very familiar to you, no. Craig. As a James Bond fan, fan the name Guy Hamilton is pretty huge. Tell me. Guy Tell Hamilton me actually more. directed four James Bond films. Oh, shit, really? Guy Hamilton was originally tapped to direct Dr. No yep. and then turned it down. Uh, he later returned for his first James Bond film, which was Goldfinger. Yep. Took a little break from the character and in the 70s returned to the franchise with Diamonds Are Forever, Live and Let Die, and The Man with the Golden Gun. Oh, wow. So that's Guy Hamilton. I now, have a little bit of tidbit for the, for you later. Oh, I'll do you? A Bond tidbit for you later. Oh, I can't wait, Craig. Okay. I'm it's excited. of that shit. Now, maybe I'm also wrote a number of Bond films, including the ones that... Uh, that Guy Hamilton had worked on. Now, Hamilton... So, sorry, write or adapted? Or same? Uh, adapted. Wrote. I'm just thinking because I don't know which ones... I don't know enough of the Bond franchise. A lot of the times were they were adapted. drawing from the novels. And which one were... Okay. Um, like, pretty much all of them up until, like, maybe... Oh, I think Quantum Souls was even... A book. I don't know. Casino Royale is a short story that they adapted. Okay, but great. really, like, they were not writing from scratch until very recent. Okay, got you. Because there's quite a number of books. And actually, I started reading Casino Royale in the uh, Christmas holidays and I haven't returned there. I should now. I'm on holidays for another two weeks, but it's actually a fantastic read. Oh, is it really? Yeah, it's really great. So digestible for how old it is. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Now, um, Hamilton passes on the project and the reason was that he actually had agreed to be the director of another DC Comics character. Yeah. Guy Hamilton was actually the first choice director hired for 1978's Superman the Movie. Oh, wow. Crazily, Hamilton actually had to pull out of directing Superman the Movie Thank because fuck. he had tax-related issues... He was actually in tax exile, which meant that he was not allowed to return to the UK for more than 30 days, which was where they were filming Superman. So he actually ended up being replaced by Richard Donner as a result. 
Um, the film version was frequently turned down. Now, this film version that uh, Michael Olsen was working on was frequently turned down by Studios 2, who didn't like the idea that Olsen was trying to have a gritty version of Batman made. Yep. They all wanted to be versions of the 60s television oh, show. Okay, yeah. So the, the 60s stigma is really attached to the property. Yeah, 100%. 100%. So Olsen is actually so disappointed by now that he decides he's going to write his own Batman film. It was named Return of the Batman. And the project was reportedly extremely dark and is often compared to the Dark Knight Returns comics run that, Ooh, that happened. Yeah, and Frank Miller. It was six years before Frank Miller's comic run happened. But none. Um, Olsen was then joined by producing pair John Peters and Peter Goober. Um, and together they decide that what might be best for the Batman project is to take the formula used for the 1978 Superman and put that across. So they start pitching the film to a number of studios and they pitch it to Universal Studios Mm -hmm. who turn it down. Um, And the film was declined by a number of studios and regardless of this, they actually attend the 1980 Comic Art Convention in New York. Yep. And announced that they will be making a Batman film with a $15 million budget. This is without a studio backing them. Damn. Now, that paid off with Warner Brothers coming on board to finance and produce the film. <laughs> and this is where the, the partnership with Warner Brothers it. starts. So in the 80s. Um, and we'll come back to the cinematic journey a bit later in the episode uh, because there are elements that start taking place here that affect Burton. Yeah. Um, but... The 80s also saw a really huge shift in Batman's tone from a comic perspective. Yeah. Because this is where it starts attracting writers who typically hadn't touched on mainstream comics. They were more independent writers. So you start seeing people like Alan Moore writing Batman the Killing Joke or Frank Miller, as we've mentioned, writing The Dark Knight Returns. And it really starts to cement this new vision of what Batman the character is. Yeah. Probably you would say this is the time from a comic perspective where what we know as Batman today, that's where it's born. Yeah. And so the eighties is really, really huge. Now something crazy I learnt here, Craig. Um I just really wanted here to take a moment to talk to comics because I'm a huge Batman comic fan. I love him so much. Um Here's some facts that I learned to just state how big a character Batman is. Yeah. Now, to date, there have been over 16,000 individual issues of Batman comics published. Yeah. That's not without talking about crossovers, uh, teaming ups. Yeah. You know, all those sort of guest appearances. Uh, 16,000 individual issues, over 16,000. Batman has actually sold over 474 million single issues to date. That's fair. That's amazing. That's nearly half a billion Batman comic books. Yep. Which is just crazy, isn't it, Craig? Uh, in addition to uh, the success of the comic books, um, Batman goes on to have uh, 10 different solo films, yep. including the two that Tim Burton does. Um Batman also appears in a number of other films crossing over, like your Suicide Squad he pops up in, um, has an animated standalone Lego Batman film as well as appearing in the Lego That's films. That's hilarious. And 
would go on to be portrayed by actors such as Michael Keaton, Val Kilmer, George Clooney, Ben Affleck, Robert Pattinson. He's voiced by Will Arnett for the uh, animated Lego films and has also been in a number of TV series. He's appeared in video games, board games, novels, and has really cemented himself as a character in pop culture through art as well, with a number of Andy Warhol pieces focusing on Batman. So Batman is this iconic, lasting character for the ages. Incredibly. Incredibly. And that's what I and that and I honestly never used to appreciate it as much. Like I was always sort of anti Batman because obviously there was always Batman versus Superman type boy. It was only really when when um Carter, my boy, was like, you know what, I love Batman and I and I, I just said, oh, I should rethink this and I just you know, I always liked Batman. Batman was always there. I always watched the films and all that stuff. But I, I really didn't appreciate it as much until Carter was into it and I just wanted to see why um why he was attracted to him, why yep. everyone was attracted to him. And it is because Batman is is he is that human being who's pushing you know what I mean? There yeah. is the only thing he has is his persistence, his intelligence, and and just this inner drive. Yeah, you know what it. I mean? That makes him Batman, obviously, and a shitload of money. Yeah, um, but that's you know Bruce Wayne and Batman is just iconic, it and is. I just by by reading into it more and by actually opening my um, opening my mind to it more, there is so much of that character that. He is. Well, he's still the... He's probably the biggest selling comic book still out there. Yep. Um, I don't think there'd be any that would come close, especially, unfortunately, in a in our environment where the comic books are declining. Yep. Um, but also, he's just... Everyone knows Batman. Yeah. Everybody knows Batman. My two-year-old knows him. I haven't taught him that. No, no, exactly. It's just Batman. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? Is, it? it is. And it's brilliant. And considering it's such a... Um, Bats are scary fucking things. Yeah. Um, but kids just love Batman because he just, he's a, he's he a hero. Part of a, yeah, he's a hero. Yeah. He's also, just the, he's also just a part of us. Like why the Hulk gets to people. We can all relate to something. Yeah. Batman. And I think with Batman, there's something um, simplistic in the fact that he didn't need an accident. Yeah. Or to be from another world in order to be a hero. Mm. He he really is. He's got money, yes. Yeah. Um, you know, like people joke that his superpower is being rich. Um, well, and they even have that line in uh, it's in, it's in Snyder's film, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, After he flash. That's right. Um, but like for for him, what what I think resonates for me as a Batman fan is that he suffered a tragedy. And instead of wallowing in sadness, or you know, to hark back to harken back to our Mike Tyson chat at the start of the episode, just to be filled with rage and just go out there and hurt people, mm. which again, some iterations of Batman, he does this. But that's where people get it wrong. On that that's Batman. exactly right. His his aim is to make the city better, he so no one kill. has to suffer. And it's really interesting. Initial comics when it was released. Batman actually had a gun and he would regularly shoot Makes people. Sense. And they reached a point where they actually made a, an agreement across writers that Batman was not to shoot anybody. It's really important that this character in this World War II world that we're living in mm. doesn't become a weapon. 
he actually is anti-weapons. Yep. And and I think that's pretty big for a character. Like, there's hope in that. Oh, yeah, exactly. Which is synonymous with Superman. Oh, but, like, it's also... But that's what makes him and Superman so perfect. And that's where they've both helped each other. Yeah. Um, like, as cultural icons they're they they're actually very much hand in hand they are and that's why there's a lot of it that um and obviously that's where the batman vs superman issues lie because snyder gets one but doesn't get the other yes um even though he got it in first movie (laughs) yeah you're saying for batman vs superman he really gets batman he gets batman like he gets the tone of batman you know what i mean um but you know you should. That's where there should have been that mad juxtaposition because yes. they're both two different characters. They're two sides of the same coin. They are, aren't they? Yeah, I love it. And I guess what I love at the end of Batman versus Superman. And let's be honest, we can't talk Batman nineteen eighty nine without discussing other iterations. Oh yeah, of, of course. Batman. Yeah, incredible. but I love Snyder's Batman, which you could hear in our second season. Yeah, how we talk about it. Um, is that there almost becomes this? They could be brothers. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like they do come from the same coin and and towards the end of the film there is this and you're almost like it's almost like now I'm truly starting to understand in this discussion that the whole Martha thing that happens. You know, and and it's quite jarring when it comes out of nowhere. Oh, what? A random name and they yeah, find exactly. out their mothers are the same name, you know, but um like that moment is it's almost like that realization, oh wow, we are one and the same. It's and it's funny. It's it's only jarring because, like, in my opinion, it's jarring because Superman says the name. Yes, it's not jarring to how Batman reacts to the name. No, not at because all. Because that's the tragedy that defines Batman. Yes, like without that tragedy, he was just another rich guy in Gotham. Yeah, you know what I mean. That's the tragedy that you know. It's like if anyone says to me now, fucking the name Cyril, I think of my dad. Yeah. I don't care where I am in the world. If someone just says, Cyril, I just think of it. It's in my dad, my dad, my dad, my dad. So yeah. if you said it, yeah, it's just, it's still, it was just weird how he just goes, save Martha. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, cool, bro. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what's a random name I can say? Um, so that's sort of that journey, Craig, that Batman takes. Um, and I just really want, I felt like it's really important because we're going to talk another Batman mm. film in a few episodes time. It's really important to to sort of get the idea of the journey that Batman has taken and the evolution the character has taken because it makes a lot of sense when we get to Burton's version why there's a little bit of controversy around Burton's hiring. Yeah. There's a little bit of uh, controversy around the hiring of Michael Keaton. Um, Actually, that's an understatement. There's a lot. Um, And so this is not a film, and it really shifted my idea of the film itself mm. because uh, by all accounts Burton was really up against it from the start of making this film but it's also good obviously talking about the evolution of Batman that Bill Finger now he's getting a lot of that yeah a lot of that um, acknowledgement that he should have gotten yeah from the start and Finger was yeah, very like you saw it, it's it's after this film because you still yep. still see it's only Bob Kane but if you watched the last Batman, Matt Reeves' Batman, yep. Bill's on there. Yeah, it wasn't until like I think 2016 that Bill Finger's name started getting attached to anything. Yeah, exactly. It's when Which they is, just... yeah. Do you, do you want to, Craig, just elaborate on... We're sort of dancing around. Oh it's, it's, oh, it's just literally that Bob Kane took a lot of credit for a lot of the um, 
a lot of Batman as he is today. Yeah. Um, and it's and it wasn't true. Like you said earlier, Bill Finger was the one who came up with um, you know, came up with a lot of the trademark things that you yep. see as Batman today. It's the same with Superman. Yeah. You know, Superman wasn't meant to fly. Yeah. Superman could only jump over tall buildings in a single bound. That was his only you know, that's all he could do. And there was no um Lois Nane, there was no Krypton. Yeah. Um and just using that as an example, that's why there was a big lawsuit not long um over the original Superman because yeah, yeah. because some people owned the rights to certain parts of the Superman law yeah. and then there was the original um Jerry C with Joe Schuster stuff. And it's the same with Bob Kane and, and Bill Finger. So because yep. Bill Finger's estate ha- was able to prove these things. He had to start getting credit for these things because yep. they, were, they would have had to hold back certain elements of the Batman storyline yep. if Warners were to get keep it on screen without paying any copyright. Yeah. And it was the same for Superman. There was a time where if they didn't make a Superman film within a certain period of time, yep. they would lose the ability to have Superman fly, was it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And... Um, and Jimmy Olsen and then all these all this weird all this other stuff like Metropolis and all this type of stuff that yeah, was, so was crazy. just added in later so crazy um, so Craig now before we really start digging into the journey to screen of the film itself yeah I thought we'd take a little look it's 1989 let's take a look at what's going on in the cinematic landscape Yay. for 1989 it's the year to shine it is it's the year to shine uh, so there's not a lot of really well, there's a few little major events that go on in 1989 in terms of the film industry. Um, one of the biggest one is um, Laurence Olivier passes away in 1989, oh, which is pretty huge for the, the film community. Um, also in there, Sony buys, con- takes control and ownership of Columbia Pictures and TriStar Pictures, which now we go on to learn that they become Columbia, Columbia TriStar, TriStar. Uh, an arm of Sony Pictures. Now, it was bought for $5 billion. Really? At that time? In 1989. Holy Lord. $5 billion. And there was a subsequent lawsuit (gasps) that ended gaining another billion dollars. So there is a lot. Yeah, lots of money being thrown around in there. Now, um, in terms of what the big movers and shakers were for that year. The the Oscar darling for that year was uh, Driving Miss Daisy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Born on the 4th of July gets Best Director for Oliver Stone. Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis cleans up with My Left Foot. <laughs> uh, Jessica Tandy, Best Actress for Driving yep. Miss Daisy. Uh, Denzel Washington gets Best Supporting Actor for pretty much every award ceremony for Glory. Love Glory. Um, My Left Foot, again, with Brenda Fricker for Best Supporting Actress. And Dead Poets Society gets Best Original Screenplay. Um, Miss you, Robert. Also, Best Original Score and Song goes to The Little Mermaid. Alan Menken. Good on Hey, fun Alan Menken fact. The um, most Oscar awards for any living person to date is Alan Menken. Um, we had a great interview with him. That yeah. was like one of my favourite interviews. I remember how excited there. you were. You were heaps. Oh, fun. man, it was so good. Oh. It was about three in the morning. He called me from France. <laughs> um, for Tangled, 
Oh, the yeah. Disney Tangled film. Uh, we had a great chat. Talked about The Simpsons, all sorts of things. Just a beautiful guy. Hey, it's like one of those dudes that you just want to talk again because he felt like your buddies. Uh, so let's take a look at what the 10 highest grossing films for 1989 were. Awesome. The number one film for 1989, Craig, was not Batman. <gasps> it was Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Yeah. $474 million. I love me too. River oh. Phoenix, what inspired oh. casting for oh, young Indy? River. I thought now, I lost your boy. The number two film we are yet to talk about on this podcast, but we will be, Craig, in a matter of minutes because it's Tim Burton's Batman. Yay! The number two film, $411 million worldwide. Hey, I just had a little memory zing pop up while I was saying that, Craig. Do you remember at McDonald's you could get the glass Batman glasses? Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Yes. They were great, they were weren't they? Double war? Ooh, my, I remember like proper glass ones. Yeah, yeah, no, like 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 double war, like um there was a gap between the actual glass. Oh and the, yeah, the yeah, top yeah. Front of it. Yeah. Yeah. So great. Now, the number three film for nineteen eighty nine. We've actually talked about it on this podcast before, Craig. We're going all the way back to season one. Oh, Bobby Z. Back to the future part. Ooh. Oh dear! That's great right. Film. It was a great film. I listen love to that the, movie so much. Listen, listen to, to it. Podcast. Go on, listen go to get it. out there. Listen. Now, number four, "Look Who's Talking" was released. <laughs> Fuck. I know. Number five, "Dead Poet Society." Fantastic, amazing. Number six, "The Little Mermaid." Fantastic, amazing. Uh, number seven was "Lethal Weapon 2. Oh, fantastic, amazing. Oh, no, I've not watched it in a long time. I feel yeah, like I it's time for a read. Yeah, same. I've got to go back to the Lethal Weapon films. I had this weird urge to watch part four the other day. Oh, the one with Jet Lee? Yeah, and uh, well, the thing that got me, it's this whole like post-Chris Rock uh, Oscars world <laughs> where I'm like, what are those roles that he was in and was he just obnoxious? No, you know you're, think, those you're getting confused with Chris Tucker. <laughs> Was it Chris Tucker? <laughs> no, Chris Tucker oh. was those annoying roles. Yes, he was. He, he took he took what Chris Rock did and added another octave. <laughs> I, and then, you know what I mean? Like, ironic, ironically, if you see interviews with Chris Tucker, he's fucking hilarious. He has he so is. many funny stories. His Netflix special is really good. But um, yeah, Chris Rock, yeah, it was it was all that it was all that you know, black man in the back of a cab, yeah, <laughs> a black man in the back of a car. You think he's a perp? <laughs> Look at this shirt. What am I? <laughs> yeah, you just go, okay, cool. I love it. So I want to revisit and just see how he was in those early days. Like, that's a big franchise to be a part of. That was a big franchise. Um, so you literally had me worried that I'd like racially stereotyped. No, him no, no, no. It was Chris, Chris Rock. Chris, good. Chris Rock for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, number eight, honey, I shrunk the kids. Oh, wow. Rick Can I tell you, I remember going to see that at the cinemas. Did you? I went to Charlestown Hoyts. Yep. It was the big one to go to. It was the only cinema in Newcastle to really go to that wasn't the the cinema, like the tower cinemas yeah. in town. And next door they had all you can eat at Sizzler. Oh, really? Remember Sizzlers? Yeah. So my family, actually there were two really cool things we got to do if we go to the movies. Next to, directly next to Hoyt Cinemas was a penny parlour. Yeah. Called Galaxy Arcade. Yeah, I remember Galaxy Arcade. And they used to have the slot car set, the giant yes. slot car set. Um, so we used to go in there. You do that for a little bit. Then we'd go to Sizzler. And I remember going to dinner. And the West Indian cricket team were all there dining. Oh, really? Yeah. And I remember my dad made me go introduce myself. I said, 
hi, I'm Jeff. Would you um, sign a signature for me, please? And I got Brian Lara and Carl Hooper. That's impressive, a, man. Signed signatures. You could sell Brian Lara for... I totally could sell Brian Lara. I, I totally could. He, for people He's who like don't a know, god. For in, in the cricket world, Brian Lara scored the most runs ever in an innings. Uh, generally with a cricket test match, which takes five game, five days to, to oh, complete yeah. a game, uh, an average score, like a high score in that would be 100 runs. Yeah. Now, Brian Lara scored over 500 runs in his innings, um, and he was just an absolute machine on the cricket field. He was. Um, so I was pretty scared. Carl Hooper had a necklace that said Carl Hooper on it oh, that's um, good. in gold. Uh, so he really wanted to let people know who he was. Uh, but, honey, I shrunk the kids. What a great film. I miss Rick Moranis so Here's much. Here's a little story. Batman was – I went to saw Batman. I had ran away just before it. <laughs> I ran away from home <laughs> just before it and it freaked everyone Did out. Did you really? Yeah, seriously, yeah. My mum had a little freak. cubic zirconia diamond. I was playing with it at school. I may have told this story before. I was playing with it at school and I got it stuck in the top of one of those McDonald's pens. Yeah. You know, remember those McDonald's pens? I've the hamburger. It was a yeah. hamburger one. Um, I got it stuck in there and then I was playing with the pouch and mum goes, What's that pouch from? Is that from my room? I said, yeah. She goes, where's the diamond that was in it? And I told her and she got angry and she went off. My mum had a bad temper. And basically, I hopped on my brother's bike and I rode six kilometers in the town on the major highway um, and ran away and scared the shit out of my entire family. When I finally got home, because I stupidly just got caught, um, yeah, we... We we all just you know huge fight got over you know those family things yep and we tried to sell it down it. and we went to the movies and we watched Batman Tim Burton bringing Tim people Burton together brought everyone back together that's right a family the Burtons together raises kids together yeah, I know <laughs> <laughs> um, at number nine Ghostbusters two yep. another great family film that was a great family <laughs> film <laughs> and at number ten I never ran away for that. <laughs> Born on the 4th of July was released. Oh, great family um, film. Now, also released, I'm just going to run through a couple films that were released around the time as well, just to show what else was going on. Strangely, they re-released Gone with the Wind in cinemas. Um, Wasn't it a, a, a 50th edition where and they oh, remastered it? It probably was. Hey, Craig, a re-released, remastered one. There you go. Uh, the Fly 2 was released. Uh, they Fly also, 2 was good, man. Yeah, Fly Eric 2 Stoltz? was good. Uh, let me just double check. Jeff Goldblum oh, part yeah. one. Oh, yeah. Eric Stoltz. There you Gina, go. It wasn't Jenny Davis because obviously, uh, but she gives birth to Eric Stoltz at the start. Written by Frank Darabont. There you go. There you go, Craig. Uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure was released. Yeah, I've never seen any of them. Really? I think you'd like you'd like them now it. in your old age. Yeah, I should. You would. Because uh, I just love Keanu Reeves. Uh, the Burbs was released. Hated it. I uh, I feel like I haven't seen it, Craig. I feel like I need to, I though. Hey. Corey um, Feldman, though. Lean on Me was released. Fantastic film. The, the Adventures. Batman. He said he calls himself the Batman. <laughs> Morgan Freeman does. <laughs> call me crazy, Joe. Now you can call me the Batman. <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> uh, the Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Loved it. Uh, Fletch Lives. Wait, I, there was a new story that popped up about that. 
Oh yeah, um, Chloe Savini, Sarah Polly. Oh, Sarah Polly. Oh, same, 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 about, people, same people. Um, the the Dangerous. tall tales that were told to get her <laughs> to have it was it was more around those the ideas and it's a pretty serious uh, thing to talk about. Um, Tell us. It was around the whole fact that they actually knew how extreme the explosions were going to be, but they wanted a genuine reaction out of oh. her, so they actually kept it a secret. And so the worst was that after it happened, she was so terrified that she needed her dad to be on set to calm her and then tell her she needed to go and do it all over again. And so it was just this like emotional sort of abuse that she was put through throughout the film, really taking advantage of a young kid. And That's um, horrible. That's horrible. I and, didn't actually realise it was that. Yeah, and so she talks about the fact that her family were huge Monty Python fans, so the opportunity oh. to work with Terry Gilliam was something that they were very excited for. Yep. I think it might have even been her first film. Um, and so, yeah, she was just like absolutely put through the ringer for that film. Never, never meet your heroes, man. That's what they say. That and is that what they say. Cosby, I still can't remember it. <laughs> 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 oh goodness me, Craig! <laughs> goodness me! Uh, what? I just can't remember. I don't know. I can't remember. Just had a cup of tea, bit, and that a, was it. A bit like Vicky Lane after a night on the town. Yeah, exactly. Um, it was easy to poo the next day for some reason. <laughs> it all just flopped out. And I was like, "Oh wow, this is really good." I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but yeah. <laughs> just, <laughs> Why does my mouth taste like weird woolen sweaters? <laughs> <laughs> um, also released Heather's. Oh, I loved Heather's. Yeah, I just oh wow, and this is this is the rise of Winona Ryder as well. Yeah, totally. Uh, this is a huge year actually. Dead Calm's released. Uh, Major League. Oh, I fucking love Major League. Say anything is released. Oh, really? Say yep. anything. Oh, man, John Cusack. Field of Dreams. <gasps> I was watching parts of that the other day. Um, oh, such a great film. Oh, I was watching great? Moonlight Graham, man. I was watching that whole sequence. Uh, Burt Lancaster. Burt Lancaster. I'll talk oh. about Burt Lancaster later too. See no evil, hear no evil. Oh, Absolutely hilarious. I love that film. It's so oh, it's, funny. They, they were a great, they were a great um, What a couple. duo. Mm. What a duo. Roadhouse was released, Craig. Oh, I watched that movie more than I care to admit. <laughs> <laughs> um, going through there is a Do the Right Thing is released. Did you uh, like Do the Right Thing? Do you know what? I actually don't believe I've seen it. If I have, it was so long I ago. I didn't like it. I, f- I really want to go back and, and rewatch his films because um, after, like, you know, I love I don't think Inside I'm, I'm, Man. I was culturally intelligent that's, enough to get that's it. That's my fear is that... Uh, I've become, because I can tell you one of my favourite films of the last probably five years mm. is Black Klansman. Mm. Absolutely loved that. And I love The Inside Man with Clive Owen. So yeah. I feel like I would probably really dive deep and love Spike Lee's early work. Mm. I just need to really I give it a bit I love Malcolm X. I think that's amazing. See, again, I can't remember seeing it. Um, also released Weekend at Bernie's. Hate it. Uh, Licensed to Kill. Yep. Uh, when Harry Met Sally. Fantastic. Yeah, I love, I love Turner and Hooch. Wow. His, do you see the new, have you watched any TV series? No. It just, I don't know if I can. I can't play. either, man. I don't it know. It looks if I very, can. like they got the same background. It looks like they got the same fucking dog, too. <laughs> but <laughs> they've yeah. done well. Yeah, the dog. But yeah, I don't know. He just sort of gets up my nose a bit, I think. I, I can't remember. What's he from? Well, he was in that show with, um, it was like, 
a, a Disney, Disney sort of Disney Nickelodeon oh, style okay. show. Josh stand, and Drake. I can't stand those fucking people. So, um, Parenthood, we've talked about that film. Love Ron that. Howard's film, great, uh, great film. Oh, wow, Keanu on a, on a Keanu, big kick this Same year. with Rick Moranis. Um, the Abyss was released. Oh, yeah. Nice. Uncle Buck. <laughs> He's a nickel. Gnaw that thing off your face. Sex Lies and Videotape was released. I've only seen it once. One Can't of those it. films that traumatized me, The Adventures of Milo and Os- Otis. I've got to, I just talked to Carter about that today. Did you? Because he was watching uh, some dog sh- movie. Homeward Bound? That's it. It's one of those. Yeah. Oh, no, no, not the one with Harrison Ford. No, That's there's another one. Oh, yeah, there's I know what you're at the home. Yeah, yeah. Um, way home, the way home or something. Yeah, like long that. way home. Or long way home. Like yeah, yeah. And and um, he watched that last night with Brooke. Yeah, and, <laughs> how'd it go? And oh, I I never watch it. I can't. I couldn't watch that shit. And he's like, oh, it's amazing. You got to watch it with me, Dan. I said, okay, only if you watch Milo and Otis, which is the original. And then we we agreed to watch also a dog's purpose which is followed by A Dog's Journey, Dennis Quaid films. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we're going to get into some weird dog movies Don't now. do Marley and Me. Oh, fuck It'll flat out traumatise him. I just, Marley and Me, nah, nah. It was all about the tears, that one. Hey, Michael Mann uh, released his first iteration of Heat in LA Takedown this year. Oh, cool. Yeah, cool, cool, cool. big year. Um, going through as well, there's a couple other ones. Eric the Viking, wow, remember that oh, one? Oh, yeah, I remember yeah. Eric the Viking. <laughs> so good. Um, just, Terry Gilliam, that was a Monty Python. Terry Jones. It? Terry Jones. Tim Robbins, Mickey Rooney. No, no, Tim Robbins. Eartha Kitt. Oh, there you go. Um, Fabulous Baker Boys was released. Didn't like um, it, but she was sexy as hell in it. Sure was. Uh, just going through a couple last ones here. Shocker, remember Shocker? I fucking love Shocker, man. Shocker. That was the guy from who ended up being Skinner in the X Files. He played the main bad guy, and it is still one of the best horror films of all time. So good. Steel Magnolia was released. Uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Yep. She Devil. The The War she of the Devil, Roses. She Devil. She Devil was the. That's um, not the Liz Hurley one, obviously. No, no, no. Meryl Streep's in it. Uh, Roseanne's in it as well. Oh my god! You yes, remember I that one? remember that one. Oh my god! Yes, and she steals. Oh no, I'm getting confused with fucking. But with the other, what's that other horrible one? <laughs> uh, Ruthless People. No, no, no. The one that we we did in Rob, Robin Zemeckis. Oh, uh, Jewel of the Nile. No. Romancing the Stone. Oh, Meryl Streep. Death Becomes Her. Death Becomes Her. There you go. Yeah, I was getting confused with that. Uh, fair enough, too. And so, Always was released, as well as Tango and Cash. So, there's Tango a lot of big Cash. films in 1989, Craig. So, that's the cinematic landscape for 1989, Craig. We've talked about a few films in that. So, you know what I just realized now? What? That Kurt Russell... And Sylvester Stallone did another movie together, but they were never actually on the same scene. Which one? Guardians of the Galaxy 2. There you go, Craig. Because I was like, there man, they're, they were a good matchup. They had great chemistry. I wonder if they ever did a movie before again. Oh, man. I love Tango. And, and then Cash, I thought, hey? yeah, Ego, Heals the Planet Ego, and? Were they in an Expendables film together? Oh, that's plausible. Is Kurt Russell in any of the Expendables? I think so. Isn't he in the CIA agent? I know he's in the Fast and Furious movies. He's a CIA agent in Fast and the Furious? 
Yeah, I think so. <laughs> okay, yeah. He's there somewhere. So, Craig, that's the cinematic landscape for 1989. It's a great year. Big scape. Big, <laughs> it's a big, a big scape. scape. What a big scape what a that big is. big scape that is. Uh, lots of great films, actually. Uh, surprising thing, like when I think about it, they're sort of like those comedies of my youth all took place in that time. Yeah, it is, isn't it? I guess, you know, like we said earlier, it's just, you know, those things that inspire you as a kid and then when you're old enough, you're able to... Um, Influence that. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. That's exactly right. So, this is becoming part one of our epic Batman. It's coming a bit chunky. It's, it is. It that's is. right. It is. But just like Jeff and Craig in their 40s, it's becoming a bit chunky. Oh, yeah. But that doesn't mean we're not still sexy. No, we no. Don't so still so got we've it. still got the love. We just that's right. Need a, like a little break. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Like old people, we like need old a people, little break. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to cap this at part one yep. this week. We're going to return next week, Fantastic. not next fortnight like our normal scheduled programming. Next week we'll drop part two containing the journey to screen of the film itself yep. and so much more. Yeah, definitely. So in the interim, Craig, where can people find us? Oh, guys. Go on to um, Twitter or Instagram at FFTL Podcast. Love or, it. Or, guys, if you want to, go on from First to Last Podcast. Um, we've actually got the page there on Facebook. Yep. Um, get on there, comment, do it all you got to do, like some stuff. Do it. And then if you want to email us, go info at FFTLpodcast.com or go to our webpage, www.fftlpodcast.com. Love it. Like always, subscribe, share us with a friend. Yeah. Get the word out get there. Get a word. Write a review. Write us a review. Get that five-star happening so more people can find us. Get that we love. want to get it out there. And while you're at it, check out Glee Coffee. Use oh, yeah. that code FFTL. Damn good coffee. Get Damn your discount. Coffee. Drink some nice coffee. Oh, yeah. Winter blend is delightful. Ooh, I'm is just delightful. saying. I'm just saying. So from all of us here at From First to Last Podcast, we'll catch you next week with our part two. I'm Jeff Reed. I'm Craig Gillian. And we'll see you next week. Bye.